It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, and Jeff Fiegels. Three-headed monster today. Uh, Thank you for being with us, folks. We had no show yet yesterday because of MLK Junior Day. So I figure let's get us all in the mix here and we have a ton to talk about. Of course, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery as part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is brought to you by Investors Bank. Make sure you find the archive of all of our podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app and all your favorite podcast platforms. Mr. Fiegels, did you Hello. enjoy the football this weekend, bud? Yeah, great games. Uh not not a big fan, as you know, of last week's games, but this last this last week's games, I was. I think that these were really good, um, and we got a heck of a matchup coming into Championship Sunday here, so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these teams. Lance, and I guess we can start here. Uh, my takeaways, generally, you know, from from the weekend, is that things get tougher in the playoffs when you know offense can look easy a lot of times during the, the regular season, but in the mm-hmm. playoffs, it get, it gets a lot tougher. And we talk all year, Lance, about the importance of turnovers and takeaways. And we discussed that Bucks Saints game late last week. I'll start there. And we both kind of talked about um, with. The Saints, we thought they would have to win the game with their defense. Well, their defense played extremely well. Unfortunately, their offense put them in some very bad situations. Yeah, and their offense had been shaky going back to the Chicago game as well. So I'm not necessarily stunned with what happened. But, I mean, I think you hit it right in the nose. The turnovers absolutely killed them. The Saints had four turnovers. The last one really didn't matter because that pretty much closed up shop. But the Bucks scored 21 points off of the previous three turnovers. And this actually goes back to themes that, you know, the three of us have talked about all season as it pertains to the Giants. My biggest theme that I took away from this past weekend, really all four of the games, is just the efficiency of things compared to these teams versus teams that didn't make the playoffs. What do we talk about all season? Turnover differential dictated wins and losses for the Giants. Okay, well, we just talked about that. The other thing that I thought came back to haunt certain teams was red zone inefficiency. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, guys, how the Colts couldn't capitalize in the red zone against the Bills. That was a big difference maker. Well, the Ravens were able to move the football against Buffalo, and then they got inside the 20, and they couldn't put it into the end zone for a touchdown. And that, I thought, was a big reason why Baltimore didn't take care of business. You had the pick six, you had some missed field goals, and then you had the turnover on downs. It wasn't as if Baltimore didn't have its chances. It's just they had no points to show for the ball movement. Yeah, and I will say this about the Ravens, guys. And look, Lamar Jackson's a very good football player. But he has to become a better thrower of the football if the Ravens are going to win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can run their offense the way they do, and it's great. And I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. He's a good quarterback. And he doesn't have to throw the ball like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, but he needs to get above average as a thrower. He just has you know, too many plays where you know, eventually you're going to need your quarterback to, to make to, – to, to convert a third and long, to launch a comeback. You know, some of those things where he's going to have to win the game through the air, and I just don't think Lamar Jackson is good enough at that yet for him to be um, a Super Bowl quarterback if they need to rely on the offense to win him games. Yeah, and and thing about when going back to the playoffs last weekend, when you talk about the Saints and the um, – the Bucks game, you know, what got what got the Saints there all season was not turning the football over and playing good defense. So, 
you know, those types of things. And you know what comes down to a lot of these games, guys, and that when, when the playoffs start and divisional games and going into this championship weekend, it's the big plays. And some of the plays that happen and, and some of the calls on the field. And, you know, you look at the way Andy Reid, how aggressive he played on that fourth down play. I mean, I thought Tony Romo was going to jump out of the booth after that after that happened. You know, <laughs> so things like that happen in these types of games. And... I almost fell off my couch. I mean, you have Chad <laughs> Henney in there on a fourth oh and one goodness. and you're throwing the football? Wow, you, that is some guts. And you think about all the ramifications from snap to catch to throw and everything, right? So you've got a, you've got a shotgun snap now. Could be a bad snap, could be a drop snap. Then you gotta then you gotta throw the ball. Could be an incompletion. Turnover on down. And it was could also an interception. Moving, it was a moving pocket too, where he's on the move making that. So throw. a lot of different things that kind of went into that. And it's just, you know, these are the type of decision making that these coaches have to come down to in big, big games when you get to the end of the season like this. So um, yeah, and it's 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 exciting to watch. Um, you just hope that, you know, some of you look at the Browns game and that, you know, we talk we talked about this on the air. We talked about this, that, that play about reaching the ball out, you know, touching across the line of scrimmage. Um, there, there's things like that that you just don't do, and teams don't teach that play. Well, the Cleveland Browns certainly have never taught that play, and, you know, you have a play like that that impacts the game. And, you know, if you're, if you're the Cleveland Browns looking back at that game, you're surely sitting there going, you know what, we had these guys beat. Yeah. We really did. And Lance, and- Joe Judge has taught that. He says that publicly that he teaches his guys not to reach out for yeah. that football unless it's fourth down because to avoid just that. Yeah. Well, that's a New England philosophy. I think Judge basically got it from Belichick because if you ask any former Patriots players, they say that Belichick really no, gets no. on guys. <laughs> he won't let them live it down if they decide to reach out for it. And to Jeff's point, when you lose a game by, what, five points? Yeah, mm-hmm. you wish you had that red zone possession back because they would have taken over on the two-yard line if he was just not cleanly out of bounds with the football. And listen, there's no guarantee you're going to score a touchdown. So I get what Higgins' logic was. Hey, if you have an opportunity, try to do it, but then you wish you at least maybe had a field goal mm-hmm. out of all of that as opposed to completely losing the possession, especially a game like the Kansas City Chiefs. Quick sidebar to what Jeff was talking about with Chad Henney. Guys, I actually think it was a blessing in disguise, and you know we could debate a lot of the pros and cons to resting starters and the playoff implications that that presents for teams that may have missed out on an opportunity to get to the postseason, but the fact that Henny actually played that entire game in Week 17 because Kansas City had nothing to play for, I think that actually was extremely beneficial because then Mahomes gets hurt, and as opposed to Henny playing for the first time in months or seasons, you have him playing for the first time in about the span of two weeks. That actually has not been (laughs) talked about enough. I think that was actually extremely beneficial. Yep, and you get into that conversation about resting guys and, you know, the whole – uh, Doug Peterson putting the, the third teamer in there to get reps and that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, listen, at that, at that situation, it warrants what happened. You know, you are going into the, to the playoffs and you want to rest your guys. And, and Chad Henney gets a whole game to, to work out the cobwebs because he certainly hadn't played a lot during the regular season. In fact, he hasn't played a lot in his career. I, it was funny. I was watching the game with my boys and I was like, how many touchdowns do you guys think that, that uh, Chad Henney has in his career? And we kind of come to the, before we looked it up, the over-under was 50. And I took the under. I took the under because I just didn't think that he had that many. Well, he might have started a, at least one full year for Miami, right, Henny? It's a good question. I, I would take over-under 50. I would probably go just over on that. Lance, what would you go on that? I would have went just over in mm-hmm. terms of 50 career touchdowns. The because number, he's been in the league. Remember, he's been a veteran guy well, that's been on a number years, of teams. Right? 12 years. Yeah. Uh, the number was 60. 
Yeah, that sounds <laughs> so, about right. You know, yep. um, but you're right because there was some years when he first was drafted coming out, and then he got to play, you know, some seasons where he was the guy. But then, you know, but it just goes to show you how important that backup quarterback position can sure. be for a team. It really does. And by the way, this is going to be the microscope judges every move. What did he do on the practice field? Is Patrick Mahomes going to clear concussion protocol? Mm -hmm. This is going to be just a drama-filled week trying to figure out whether or not that guy is going to be able to play because clearly that is the biggest storyline we'll be keeping an eye on all week long now, Lance. And we know yeah. we know how these, these concussions uh, – can 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 act you know they're just you never know each person's different Sterling Shepard look what happened to him how many games he left well remember this is not just the team now this is the NFL mm -hmm. and their independent evaluator that has to approve this too mm-hmm yep so the hit actually did not look that terrible when no you saw it, it really didn't hand. it didn't and it wasn't a helmet to helmet hit it was just sort of an awkward like twisting glancing. of the head yeah. It looked like so, you know, maybe that makes it promising that he can get back. And I don't know if you guys saw, but when he went to the sideline, he went into the blue tent and then they he took ran. him back to the locker room. He was running. He was <laughs> racing back to the locker room. So, yeah. you know, when I saw that, but once again, to your point, <laughs> how you feel on Sunday could be very different than how you feel hey, on Tuesday or Wednesday. You, I had a I had plenty of concussions in my career. <laughs> Okay, and I will tell you, I was well. First of all, there was never a blue tent. Second of all, <laughs> I was never running like that after I had a concussion. I basically didn't know where I was at or thrown up somewhere. I mean, that so that is good news, and I, I think that he will play. Of course, I, I don't know, you. but uh, I think that it'll be good for the game, and I think it'll be good for the Chiefs. Well, the one thing we haven't touched on, guys, and I guess we should, is the game from Saturday night. I know Saturday afternoon. And part of me, the, the the Packers and Rams, and this is how I relate this game back to the Giants. You know, the Rams, I think, play a very similar style defense to what the Giants do. It's a lot of two safeties deep. It's a lot of zone coverage. They don't allow any big plays. And we saw the Packers. And by the way, I think that is the way you should play defense these days because I think big plays are the easiest way for you to get beat. Mm -hmm. And the Packers showed the blueprint of how to beat a defense like that. And I, I, this is one of the few things I tweeted over the weekend. I tried to stay off Twitter as much as I could. But... The Packers well, just tweeted about had... the Knicks all weekend, though. So let's not forget about that. <laughs> no, nah, I wasn't on. I was barely well, on Twitter at all Saturday and Sunday. Come on, let's not shy away from that. But go ahead. Yes. Um, so to me, the Packers did so much right in that they had no negative plays. They didn't allow any sacks. They didn't have any offensive penalties. And it wasn't these huge. They had, they had that one chunk play later, sure. But you had. Five yards here, six yards there, four yards here, eight yards there. And it was these long, sustained drives. And that's the formula for the Rams, and it was for the Giants this year too, right? Make the other team sustain long drives, and eventually you'll either get a sack or they'll make a mistake or there'll be a fumble, and you can walk away without giving up any points. Well, the Packers were so efficient that they were just able to methodically move the ball up and down the field all game long against what was the best defense in the league this year, and that to me was just so impressive. Mm. That offensive I thought line. they ran the ball very well. Mm -hmm. 188 yards over yep. five yards of carry. I also think it helped that they pretty much made sure Aaron Donald, even with the injury, wasn't going to be a disruptive force that he typically is. I thought the offensive line for Green Bay yes. probably is not going to get enough credit coming out of that game because of, of course, what Aaron Rodgers did. And Aaron Jones had a 60-yard run to start the third quarter. But the line, I mean, kept an extremely clean pocket. They kept the Rams' defensive front away from Aaron Rodgers. They didn't sack.
sack him once. They had one quarterback hit. And if you look at what the Rams did to Russell Wilson in the two regular season matchups and then the postseason matchup, guys, they sacked Russell Wilson 16 times in those three games. They got after him. They were opportunistic. To me, the offensive line for the Packers completely took the Rams' aggressiveness out of that game. And that's why, to John's point, I think they were able to put together lengthy drives because there were no negative plays to be had. There was no opportunities to creep into the backfield and have Aaron Jones lose two yards or so. And Aaron Rodgers, of course, is always going to take care of the football. So the Rams have relied on those opportunistic plays. There was nowhere to be found throughout the course of the game. And that's, to me, a big reason why Green Bay was able to methodically march down the field. They had three touchdowns of 73 yards or less. So it wasn't as if they were getting great field position and a blink of an eye were scoring touchdowns. They had to earn those touchdowns. Yeah, that offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks, we know, was not the biggest, the greatest thing in the world. So, but you know, looking at that game the other night and just watching how much time, uh, you know, an Aaron Rodgers has to throw to football and make decisions. I mean, you, you can't give a guy like that all the time in the world. He will just pick you apart. Um, and then there's going to be a big play here or there. But you know, John point that this kind of just they they just kind of just went down the field the way they were, and um, you know, and if you can run the football and set up play action. Uh, that's what they did. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they, the Green Bay team, will attack this Bucks defense because, you know, it's very similar as far as the, their defense is. They have a good front four, as we know. These are teams that the Giants have all played and we've studied. So it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup. But, you know, listen, I think that any time that you can give Aaron Rodgers the time that he needs to, to go ahead and just pick you apart, you're in trouble because he's not only good, he's smart. And he can key in it. Have you seen the video about him laughing when he gets under center? I, they saw it on Good Morning Football this morning. I was watching. They had a video on there of Jaron Rodgers getting up to the line of scrimmage and calling out his signals and just kind of has this little smile on his face. And you know it's, it's – and they should, I didn't show the play. But you knew that he was going somewhere where the matchup was in his advantage. And that's what I'm talking about. You just can't give him that type of opportunities. All right, the final thing, guys, we'll talk about here before we get to your calls at 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960. Big Blue Kickoff Live, of the course, is brought to you by the New York Lottery, the new X-series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. The NFL, with some sad news, at least for, for us, because we like covering it, uh, but the NFL Combine will not be taking place in Indianapolis this year. And and we could talk about this more during the week, but we should get the news out there. And, guys, this is going to be a really, real. we thought last year's draft process was odd. Well, this is going to take it to a whole new level now because you're going to have all these kind of regional events where you have medicals being done in major cities. You have, you know, players basically only testing is going to be done at their pro days, but they're going to work with, you know, scouts and NFL teams to make sure all those tests are uniform. Good luck with that. So we're going to be coming into this. And by the way, that means no in-person meetings at the Combine either with these players. So everything, all of that will be done virtually. So this is going to be the most difficult process for these teams this year to get the right information, to make the right picks, not even mentioning the guys that opted out this year and didn't play that could be first-round picks. So it is going to be a real challenge, guys, to get all the information and accurate information to make the right calls on these players based on what happens during this process between January and April. Well, remember, on top of that, the volume of games that some of these players took part in fluctuated 
throughout the season because you yeah. had some conferences that got in right, 11, 12 games, and you had others where you know, they were lucky if they got five or six games in. So the film this year is also going to be tough because you know, more often than not, we talk about this every offseason, the film, the game study is the most important. Listen, you can wow somebody in an interview, you can have great measurables, but at the end of the day, you always go back to the film and the tape. But if the film and the tape this year doesn't have the same substance as it did in previous years, and you don't have the same exposure to players at the Combine, I think it makes for even more of a guessing game or more of leaning on maybe what you learned about a player his sophomore year as opposed to his junior year or whatever it may be. So, yeah, it's another obstacle thrown in the way of all of these executives and scouts. I think at least there's the good news of there will be some semblance of a pro day. The numbers may fluctuate, but at least they'll have some workouts to run players through. And I just think it's going to be the teams that do their due diligence in finding other ways to interact with college coaches and the individuals on campus. Because remember, I think a lot of scouts will tell you it's when they get on campus and sometimes they'll talk to a trainer from the team just to get an idea of what the player is like behind the scenes. Those conversations that usually take place in person, I think that's that's where a lot of scouts and executives are going to miss out on, and you hope that maybe you'll be able to get some of that through a phone call or through a Zoom well, chat, yeah. even though you're not there in person. Yeah, and, and Jeff, real quick before you go, you know, most of these schools have not allowed scouts on campus, so I think the advantage is going to go to these scouts that, to your point, Lance, already have these contacts so they can pick up a phone and call one of these guys because – these teams have not been on campus this year to really do that mm-hmm. sort of work on these players, which puts another wrench into the whole equation. I, th- I think that the biggest caveat in all of this that we're talking about is probably going to be in your mid rounds, you know, third, maybe not even the yeah, third down your top two rounds. I think th- th- there's enough information on those guys. And I think the measurables that people are really concerned about, and I think you guys will agree me with me here, medicals. Okay, that's the big one. Uh, they got to make sure that these guys are healthy, especially when they're going to be investing the type of money they are in first and second rounders. Um, and then the other thing is, is the personal interviews. And even though they're going to be able to do those virtually, at least they're going to be able to have those where, you know, you may not all the other stuff, the 40 times, those are going to be skewed a little bit. Like you said, John, good luck trying to get a uniformity for testing all the way. But to me, I think it's you're going to rely on your scouting department. You're going to rely on the background checks that you're doing for some of the mid round guys. But I think the upper guys, it'll be a little bit just it won't be as hard. But I think trying to hit on some of those mid round guys, that's where it's going to be a little bit more difficult this season. Yeah, I think it is too. And, you know, I do think that the numbers give you a baseline, though, Jeff. And what you said is the most important thing, the interviews and the medical, no question about it. But at some point, if a guy runs a cornerback and he runs like a four five eight forty, that that that's maybe it's not disqualifying, but it's a problem. All right? Sure. And, you know, if you think some tight end's going to be this big receiving weapon and he runs like a four six eight, you're sitting there, all right, well, maybe not. You know, there's a great um, – no, it all goes into it. I, I agree with right. you. Right, and, and, you know, for some positions, there, there's there, there's a big uniformity, right? You know, edge rushers that run a really good three-cone drill. Those are guys that usually, mm-hmm. you know, translate to the pros, things like that. So those numbers are important. Yeah, yeah, and they are. And, and I think that they all go into one formula of picking, right? I mean, but I, I think that each team has their set of, I guess, rules that, that are one are important, more important than the others. And, you know, there's some, t- but I, you're right, John. It's not just the things that I was saying that are going to be the most important. I think the, the, the problem that I'm seeing is that 
and like you touched on, is how is this going to be consistent? You know, how is it, the 40 time is probably to have everybody running the same same spot with the same equipment in one place. That gives you a little bit of, of uh, consistency. Well, I mean, right? Jeff, you could even talk about it, though. I mean, just depending on what field you're on, the, 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 right. the type of yeah. turf is going to affect your speed. Mm hmm. Yeah, you got a, you got a school that's going to do their pro day on turf that hasn't been hasn't been replaced in six or seven years. That could be a faster track than somebody that just came out and put brand new turf in, you know. So there is there is some discrepancies there. You're right. So there is a little bit of a plus or minus error, if you will. So it's interesting to see. I mean, you you certainly hope that these guys, if they're a four or five, that they don't come in and run a four or nine. <laughs> you know. So well, I remember uh, last year. Remember Cameron Dantzler, the cornerback. At the combine, he ran like a four five six or something like that. He shows up at his pro day, runs a four three nine. Like, mm. come on, you guys, seriously, really? <laughs> well, I mean, listen, well, that I, just goes to show you we've seen a fluctuation even mm -hmm. under normal circumstances yeah. too. Well, yeah. but there's always yeah. a fluctuate. Let me put it this way: there's a reason the pro day times are always faster than the combine times. And you know, maybe instead of a forty yard dash, it's a thirty eight and a half, you know, a uh, thirty eight and a half yard dash. You know, things like that. They trim down on it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And you know, you, you maybe you start the stopwatch a second later, or you stop. You know what I mean? So there are things you can do to to to, to milk those numbers when you control the workout. So I think it'll be important to have whether it's a Blesto scout or whatever somebody that does this. Mm -hmm. and can give those uniform numbers to the NFL and their uniform rules from place to place will be very important. That's all I'm saying, Lance. And, you know, every year as these quarterbacks jockey for positions, right, we, we see it every year. Oh, well, this week it's this guy is, is the second highest. And, you know, well, in his pro day he didn't do very well, so now he's down. You know, we're going to have to look at that too because there is a handful of quarterbacks that we'll be talking about um, in this draft this year that could be, you know, Trevor Lawrence, obviously we won't be talking much about him, but you look at the other guys and how, you know, how are they going to fluctuate because of these workouts? You know, is, is, is the scouting services going to rank them higher than some of the pro scouts and the mock 263rd version that we get? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting. Lance but, uh, loves guess... mock drafts, by the way. Lance cannot wait for the mock drafts to start coming out. He's all yeah, about I the mean, They're already it's, out. It's clearly, they, of course, well, they've been out already throughout yeah. the course of the season. Yeah too. Oh, I mean, there's always going to be the speculation. I mean, nothing is more exciting than months before the draft to now talk mm -hmm. about the order in which the players are going to be taken. But just to piggyback off of your point, Jeff, which I think is interesting about the quarterback specifically, I think if you're a multi-year starter, you're not worrying too much because you have had multiple seasons. For example, mm -hmm. Trevor Lawrence, and I know in all likelihood he'll go number one, so it's not going to make or break him. But if you have multiple years of tape where you're the starter, I think that could put scouts and executives to ease as opposed to if you yeah. played five games, right, this year and you had like a breakout campaign, I don't know if necessarily that makes teams feel better about the well, quarterback Lance, because they're going to wish that, well, I would have liked to have seen him maybe for six or seven more how games. How about Trey Lance? He played one game. Yeah. He played one game this year. Hmm. Yeah, That's and how about the, the guys problem. that opted out? You know, even the guys that opted out this year for COVID. You know, the guys, some, of those, some of those guys, you're going to have to look at them. They didn't play a snap this year. Well, even a guy like Justin Fields, for example, out of Ohio State, we're talking about they played five regular season games in the conference championship game. So even the sample size in the Big Ten season this year is quite small. Get it that they had also the postseason games too, and I'm not bringing him down as a result of that. But if you wanted to see more, you weren't sure, you are on the fence once again, you're wondering, is this who I think is going to be the franchise quarterback, or am I not comfortable? 
And if the workouts alone, which are not game situations, you know, a guy in a pro day could look fantastic because to what we were talking about earlier, he's in his comfort zone. He's working with his own receivers. He's working with his own coaches. Part of, to me, analyzing a player is you want to see them out of their comfort zone. You want to see them working with individuals that they don't always work with because they're going to get to an NFL camp and now they're going to be surrounded by guys on offense that they've never seen before and they may have never even watched on television. I'd rather see how they adapt that way than give me a workout where he's throwing passes to three or four <laughs> wide receivers that he worked with over the course of an entire season. Trey Lance has played eight, uh, 19 college football games. He's mm. thrown just over 300 passes. And... and 16 of those games were as a sophomore. And this is a guy that a team's probably going to pick in the top 10 with very little information. So it'll be really interesting to see how this end winds up. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Let's go to the phones at 973-667-1960 and say hello to Jonathan in Westchester. He'll join us next year, or first, rather, on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Jonathan, what's up? Jonathan, you there? Yep, can you hear me? And now we can. Go ahead, man. Um, yeah, pleasure to speak with you again. Uh, this past Friday, you guys were discussing the advantage of having Gettleman back rather than having to start over with a new general manager this offseason. So I started thinking about the, uh, the Giants' 2021 opponents and how many of them are starting over, at least to some extent. So um, I could run through it really quickly with you. I, I found it to be surprising. Go ahead. Um, so they played the Falcons. Panthers, Rams, Raiders, Broncos, and then divisional teams at home. The Falcons have a new general manager and a new head coach. The Panthers have a new general manager. The Rams have the same head coach and general manager, but a new defensive coordinator. The Raiders have a new defensive coordinator. The Broncos have a new general manager. Dallas, new defensive coordinator. Eagles, new head coach. Washington, new general manager. On the road, Chiefs, Chargers, and Tampa are to be determined. Um, Saints to be determined. The Bears, uh, they have a new defensive coordinator, Chuck Pagano, retired. And then we talked. I talked about the three divisional teams. So at least 13, as many uh, as all 16 of their 2021 opponents, you know, could have a new general manager, head coach, or coordinator. <laughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it might be too early to judge how, how well these teams are going to play, but you know, I do think the Giants have uh, an advantage there, especially, you know, with COVID, um, you know, because they are coming back with the same uh, general manager, uh, coach, and coordinators. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I don't know how much, you know, on the field the the new general manager will have an impact. Like for Carolina, for example, you know, that's Matt Rule's program. It'll be his second year, so I'm not sure how much of an impact that is. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I think you make a good point. You always want to have continuity from year to year. I know Lance is a big fan of continuity. He's also a big fan of judging the opponents coming up uh, <laughs> a good nine months before the season starts. So, Lance, how about I let you take this one a little bit? Well, I'm surprised that we're not talking about strength of schedule this early. <laughs> kind of a little disappointed that we're not getting into analyzing records from this past season to determine how good they're going to be the following season. It's funny because actually when you look at the NFC East, and I know it was a down year across the board, but the team that had pretty much the least amount of continuity wound up winning the division. When you look at what Washington did in terms of a completely new staff. So I don't know what that means for the Giants opponents. I think it's well too early to run away with feedback from that standpoint. 
I think that you really have to look at all those teams you just listed, Jonathan. I mean, I think it's more important to look at, well, how much change did they have in previous years and what were the results? That, to me, is the biggest takeaway. So, you know, you look at the Broncos. How many coaches, how many GMs have they had over the span of 10 years and what exactly was their record? That, to me, is much more telling than a team making a change from one season to another and seeing what type of a difference it's going to make. I just think you need more substance to analyze trends like that. Yeah, interesting. I, I didn't look at that. So, um, and I wonder how many of the teams you know that they played this past year had a uh, new new GM coach or coordinator. I didn't look at that yet either. Well, it is funny though how with the NFC East now, Jeff, every single one of the teams in the NFC East over the last two years will have had a new head coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, because the Eagles were the one team with the most continuity. Yep, and now and that's gone. Bingo. Yeah, yeah. I, I also think that, you know, when you talk about the Giants and, and what the, you know, management wants to keep is that continuity. They, they, they felt that, you know, this is a, a team that's in, going in the right direction. And by keeping the team intact, including the general manager, is, is going to bode well. It's going to be a lot more consistent than some of the other teams in the division. So, um, you know, you got to look at the uh, all the other teams in this division. And, and there's always changes, as Jonathan had mentioned, you know, throughout the throughout the season. I don't like to, I, like, again, like Lance was saying, I don't know how much of an effect the general manager could have on the field stuff other than the fact that if he drafts bad and, and that he has bad um, offseason acquisitions as far as free agency. But um, I, like, I like what the Giants did. They kept the guy. Um, they kept everybody consistent, and now they can work together. And they got a little bit, you know, moving forward, there's not a lot of changing parts, which is good for this team because that, they took care of that this year. They took care of that. You know, it looks like Jason Garrett is probably going to be back now because I think they're they're going to fill the Charger um, spot. Um, so that's kind of keeping some some continuity on the offense. So yeah, I think that's that you can't go wrong when you got good people in good places for for amount of a uh, certain amount of time. You got anything well, else, John? Yeah, the only other thing I would add, you know, on that list, uh, you have the Chiefs, and I said TBD there. You know, their their offensive coordinator, Bienemy. I mean, I definitely think he deserves to become a head coach this offseason. The guy's been been excellent. So that's the one thing I would add. All right. Appreciate the call, well, John. Good stuff, man. I mean, keep in mind, even if Eric Bieniemy does get either the Texans or the Eagles job, because those are the two only openings left, Andy Reid's had a lot of turnover on his staff, and last time I checked, they really haven't missed a beat. Well, Why? Because Andy Reid is still there. Well, so and, that's right. You're know, still running Andy Reid's offense, and right? And Andy Reid calls the plays. They, 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 they get relayed in through Biennemi, but Andy Reid's the ones running that offense. I mean, let's yeah. not make two mistakes about it here. So if Biennemi leaves, once again, I, I don't think that's going to be detrimental to the Chiefs, plus with Mahomes and most of the offensive personnel. I just wanted to add real quickly something that Jeff just hit on, and when we talk about continuity, to me, there's the difference between the continuity on the field with respect to the scheme and then the continuity in the front office is more of the relationship between the coach and the GM. And this is what we were talking about on Friday, John. The reason why the relationship between the coach and the GM is important is because if you look at this through the Giants lens, and Jeff, you were alluding to this, at least based on what I was picking up from what you were saying. They've had an entire year where Gettleman and Judge have had conversations right. week in and week out, right, going through waiver claims, looking at the wire free agency. So Judge has a better idea of the players Gettleman looks for and vice versa. If you were to then bring in a new GM, I'm just giving a hypothetical, you would then need time because they could talk all they want in the offseason, but then as the weeks go by in the season and as they need to fill voids and bring in practice squad players, you learn more about, okay, 
this is the type of player that works well with the scheme that this coach is running. The fact that you've had an entire year for that, I think at least helps the relationship going into the next season. I'll give you another example to branch out. I don't know if you guys saw the reports, but Washington looks like it's going to name Marty Herney as its new general manager today. Yep. Okay. There's well, your continuity. <laughs> well, right, but here, let's take it a step further. Marty Herney was the Panthers' general manager mm -hmm. in Carolina in 2011 when who did they hire? Ron Rivera. So now Ron Rivera, who has a lot more influence and power in Washington, is now bringing in the individual who he worked with for a few seasons before, of course, Dave Gettleman came in to play. So do you think it's a coincidence that Ron Rivera is bringing in somebody that he has already an established working relationship with, guys? Of course Do not. you think Urban Meyer, who according to the Jacksonville Jaguars ownership, Shad Khan, when he had the presser, he was worded as saying the GM is going to come in to implement the vision that Urban Meyer has in terms of the type of players he wants to put on his team. You think they're going to hire somebody that doesn't see eye-to-eye -eye with Urban Meyer or that maybe Urban Meyer doesn't have an established relationship with? Come on. I mean, it's pretty apparent when you look at the NFL landscape, the relationship between the GM and the coach matters from that standpoint. A lot. It matters yeah. a lot. And, you know, and, and like you said, Ron Rivera doing this for a reason. I mean, this is what we talk about. And I think that when you look at where there's been struggle, um, you talk about teams that have gone through head coaches, you know, but their general manager has stayed or, you know, th there's a problem there. So if you can stay away from this problem and, and see that your team is getting better and keeping that front office intact, you just got a better chance on a week-to-week -week and a year-to-year -year basis. So it all makes sense to what you're talking about, Lance. Absolutely. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC. Back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Cole, you're on the air. What is your name? Where are you calling from? I'm Mark in Jersey City. Hey, Mark. What's up, Hi, pal? Mark. How you guys doing? You guys were doing the grading last week. Um, I'll talk about this in one of the playoff games, um, if you don't mind. Um, sure. I thought the Giants had like kind of an incomplete because of the issues with this pandemic and stuff. They got none of the practices, none of the meetings, none of the extra stuff that would have been afforded them. And I thought they did, given, I know when everybody had the same playing field to work with, I think given everything, they did a pretty good job. I think when you give a rookie quarterback basically a rookie offensive line and a new system to learn, it kind of sets his clock back. You kind of spin the dial back to him being a rookie again. Yeah, a little bit, sure. No, you give him no reps in that system. It's like, <gasps> Yeah, and the one thing I'll say this in general, you know, Jones aside, the one thing I did like, guys, about the Giants this year is that in seasons past, we'd see them fail to beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And I think the first thing a team needs to do or in games where either you're favored or it's you know it's a 50-50 split, those are the games you start to win more consistently. And no, the Giants still struggle against some of the better teams in the league, that one Seahawks game withstanding. But I think it was a good sign that the Giants started to beat some of the teams that you thought they could beat or they should beat because they just didn't beat themselves in a lot of those games. And I think that is a step in the right direction, Jeff. Well, yeah. I mean, they exercised the demons against the Cowboys and especially the Eagles this year. Um but that's a step in the right direction, absolutely, because you know what? It's confidence. It's confidence because, you know what, that streak now is gone. You've started your new streak. And so, you know, the team that, that's going to be kept together and this team is pretty much going to be the nucleus of this team is all coming back is that 
they they understand that they were they were not you know they were not a great team last year, but they were able to overcome some obstacles that the teams in the past haven't been able to do, and that's a positive, a hundred percent positive, and that is definitely something that Joe Judge and his coaching staff will build on in the off season in the upcoming year. Trust me, it happens. I'd have to go and look back. I understand the whole favoritism. Angle is more based on what Vegas thinks, and I personally am not a big betting person, so I'm well, not necessarily looking at that. Well, I would, I would just say, that. Lance, by, by looking at the records of the teams when they played them. You know Correct. What I mean? Well, that's where right. I was going to get mm-hmm. to, and I'm just, I don't know off the top of my head, John, but I want to say, I mean, the Bengals game, I know they came in with a better record, but how many other games actually this season did the Giants have a better record than their opponent? Though? I mean, Dallas, Week 17. No, no, actually, they were a game behind Dallas, right? right? Before they headed yeah. into Week 17. Uh, would, did they have a better record than Philly for maybe the second Philly game? Maybe? Maybe it's the possible. second maybe half maybe a the game. second Philly game? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, you make a good point. I just meant... T- Look, when when you start the season 0 and 5 and 1 and 7, there aren't many teams you're supposed to beat. I get your point. I agree with that. But teams that when all is said and done, you look back and you're all right. This was a team that was in the same class and category as the Giants. The Giants did win a lot of those games where they had the opportunity to win them. Is my point. Yeah, I wasn't trying to fight back in terms of your point. I, I guess I was just looking at it. I would look at it. You're going into a game against a team with a lesser record or a better record, but maybe you could look at it through the Giants' lens. They went up against a few teams that were hit with quarterback injuries, and I think the Giants took advantage of those games. So maybe that's one way to look at it. For example, the Bengals didn't have Joe Burrow. So you should win that game. When you're going up against Brandon Allen, you went up against a Washington football team that had Kyle Allen. Hey, it was close. Okay, they won some of these games by the chinny chin chin guys, well, but them. you know what? They found a way to close it out. So I would look at those games as examples. However, you go up against San Francisco, and that was probably the one example of you got a team that was really banged up, yet you didn't necessarily take care of business. Granted, that was early in the season when the team was still trying to adapt. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. You got anything else for us, Mark? Oh, and, and to speak to your GM, uh, head coach, Synergy, and, and this will tie into the playoff game, the, the job that the Bills defense did against Lamar Jackson and that offense was was in, was probably, the you could say, maybe the best defensive performance all year by any team to hold a team in the NFL with three points, let alone that team with that running game and you know the, the conditions set up for that running game to succeed. And after the first four runs of the game... Yeah, it looked bad, right? <laughs> and then it was... It was curtains. Lamar takes the sack off the, the corner blitz, and then it's just done. And the synergy there between Brandon Bean, McDermott, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, their vision for players and, and the way they, the way that the culture that they built there, I mean, it's unprecedented and, and the turnaround that they've had. So people who always want to spin that dial, I mean, I can harken back to a GM head coaching situation that maybe was never good, but started off kind of quiet but then went south really bad was Balky and, and Harbaugh in San Francisco. They looked like they were going to be set up for a long, long time, and then it went south really, really bad. So people who want to consistently spin that dial, that you know, they're playing with fire. Well, and also it's no coincidence that you, Brandon Mark. Bean and Sean McDermott were together in Carolina, too. Remember, so, you know, there's some tie-ins. Not a, a big overlap, if I recall, but at least a connection there. So there was familiarity before all of a sudden they came to Buffalo. Because remember, McDermott was hired first, and then they hired the GM. So it's very similar to what I'm talking about with Rivera and Herney, and then what also is going to happen in Jacksonville. That relationship matters, especially if you want to get off to a very strong footing. Well, well just look at look the Jets. At, yeah, look at the Jets. Exactly. 
And look, and for the Jets, it's always staggered, right, Jeff? Where you have mm-hmm. a GM and a coach, that they, they, they never seem to be brought in at the same time. There's, there's no harmony, right? if you want yeah. to call it that. So we're looking for harmony here. We want harmony. Well, right. and here's another interesting thing in terms of continuity, which was a big theme we were talking about, guys. Look at the four teams that have made the conference championship games. No coincidence, okay? Kansas City, right? Pretty much bringing everybody back from the Super Bowl run. Buffalo, we talked about the changes that they've made over the course of time, but all the coaches were back. The scheme was back. Josh Allen improved, okay? So both teams on the AFC side, notice, wasn't anything brand new. And then on the NFC side, Green Bay, okay? LaFleur's in his second season. He had a year to implement his scheme. They didn't change coaches. Tampa Bay, even though Brady's new, though, Everybody else was a carryover from the previous season. So Brady's the only change, and he's a veteran quarterback who obviously has seen a lot of football. I don't think it's any coincidence that in the midst of a global pandemic, these are the four teams that have made the conference championship games. Well, when you're good, you have continuity. So it's it's kind of like chicken and the egg thing, right? Are you good they because go hand you're in. Yeah, yeah, exactly, 100%. All right, folks, just a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff 5 is presented by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series of Scratch-Off from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Let's go back to the phones. Cole, you're on the air with John, Jeff, and Lance. What's your name? Where are you called from? Talking about Harmony. This is Charlie from Portland. How are you guys? <laughs> what do you yeah, got, goes Charlie? the Harmony thrown out the window. <laughs> hey, the thing, I, what I don't understand, you know, is continuity is good if the continuity that you have is good. You know, just because you have continuity, I mean, we had an offensive coordinator. We had the 31st offense in the league, one of the worst. So continuity of awful is not. No, Charlie, look, continuity for the sake of continuity is not what you're looking for. But the way I look at it, don't make that change unless you're sure about making the change. And if, if you're not sure, I think you're better off staying the course and making a decision later based on more information. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think Garrett probably should come back because I think they would just make Kitchens offensive coordinator, and I don't think that would be much better. So, And I think Garrett is, you know, he had a pretty good downfield uh, uh, offensive uh, uh, juggernaut when he was in Dallas, and I just think he didn't have feel he had the players to be able to do that this time. So... Hopefully that will expand a bit. Um, and then what was I going to say? Oh, and <clears throat> number 11. Okay, our pick is number 11. I think the guy pick, if you want a playmaker, it's got to be Pitt. He is the guy. And I was reading this article, and it's so true. What's Only his name again, Charlie? What? Pitts Charlie. from Florida. Pitt. Pitt from Florida. Pitts. Pitts with an S. Oh, is an S on it? Yes. Okay, Pitts. Leave it for you okay. to mess up Yeah, Pitts. of course, for him to put <laughs> your name. It's Pitts. It's like it's one like syllable, dude. Come Not on. Not singular. <laughs> we, have, we have plural Pitts here. Well, it's like judge and judge, you know. You know, sometimes what? the S is there, sometimes it's not. But anyway. <laughs> Just make hey, a point, look. you crazy man. The hole gets deeper. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that <sighs> I get the perfect name oh, for our offense if he becomes our player. And I think he should because he's a playmaker and he's more durable than Smith. I mean, Smith is, you know, he's, you know, he could be really good, but he's so small and we'd probably have him running over the middle, and he'd get killed over there. But Pitt is—we'd call our offense the Pitt Crew. I can just see it now, the Pitt Crew. You know, the offensive linemen are changing the tires, and Jones is like, 
you know, jacking it up. And, and Chicon <laughs> took Bonds in the back and Pitt is up front, you know, with the wrench. And the offense hand. is so fast, you know. They're just, but yeah, we just exactly. established that his name was Kyle Pitts. It still works. Plural. That's right. okay. It still works. It still works, Lance. <laughs> See, to me, crew. the best way to describe it is when you call you, our Charlie. program, the program becomes the pits, okay? That's a good way to utilize the term, okay? This show is now turning into the pits, okay? Now, if you'd like a new definition or we could utilize it in a different sentence, I'd be more than happy. But that's the best way to describe the use of that term. Yes. 973-667-1960. Back to the folds. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? My name's Matt from East Facebook. Max, what's up, man? Hey, how are you guys? Good, good. I got three quick ones. Sure. Uh, first of all, everybody complaining about Gettleman, you've got to calm down. I mean, I grew up in the, you know, in the 70s. The best player was Dave Jennings. I was happy when the Giants had a punch yeah. the ball. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing. Right? The, only time, the only time the announcers ever said anything good. Um, so, you know, the Giants were bad when Gettleman took over. Let's face it. It doesn't... It takes a while to rebuild a whole team, especially when you don't have a quarterback. At that, at that point, Eli was done. So everybody's got to pump the brakes on that. That's number one. Number two, Hernandez. Um, I know he started out the year bad, but I think guys got to pump the brakes on wanting to get rid of him too right away. You know what I mean? I think uh, – you guys there? Well, yeah, yeah, no, we're listening. We're and and by, the, by the way, I think you're right on Hernandez. Look, this is a monster year for him. He's on a four-year rookie contract. This is his fourth year, so – all the questions are going to have to be answered this year for him, bottom line. Oh, absolutely. But I, yeah, to be honest with you, I thought he, had, he started out there. But I thought when he came back, I thought there was a couple of games he played really well when he was filling in there. So let's just, you know, see what happens there. you got to remember, too, something about Hernandez that a lot of people that I don't think talk about is, remember, he was on the COVID list. So you don't know how much that COVID really had, had impacted his playing. You know, so we don't Correct. know that. I'm just throwing that out there. It may, it may or may not have had an effect on him, but you know, sometimes you just gotta you gotta realize that some of these guys react differently to those types of you know that virus. Well, because his playing time dipped when he came back, and Jeff, I think you bring up a good point because actually Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns, who also yeah, had COVID, he has admitted that even to this point, he still's not fully recovered. You know, yeah. he, he lacks gas when he gets deeper into games. So Hernandez publicly hasn't said that, but, you know, maybe he'll be able to reflect back on it in another whole offseason under his belt. But there's no point to getting rid of a player that is on the final year of his rookie contract and nobody's saying you got to re-sign him or you have to give him an extension. You let him come back for his final year. You see how the rookie contract plays out, and you go from there. And by the way, not for nothing. If, they, if there's an open uh, competition in training camp next year for the left guard spot between Zeitler and uh, not Zeitler between Lemieux and Hernandez, it wouldn't surprise me if Hernandez was able to win that job back. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know what? I, I think I think you're right. I think it was some. I, I agree. Remember, we're talking. Listen. Uh, Shane Lemieux didn't light it up this year. He has some good good games in here and there, but for the most part, there's a lot to improve there. And by the way, Hernandez is a veteran. He's been around a while, so yeah, I agree with you there, John. And it, and it will be a good it'll be a good thing to watch uh, that type of competition. And we hope that there is a training camp at least for those guys yeah. that compete. Hopefully, there's something to watch, yeah. right? Well, and keep in mind, remember, they also changed (laughs) offensive line coaches. So you wonder, with Dave DeGuglielmo having an entire offseason interacting with Hernandez, does that change things, too? Who knows? One more quick thing, guys. Um, Talking about Ingram, uh, like what his problem might be with holding on to the ball. Um, I know, Lance, you noticed that he jumps a lot, and I agree with you on that. 
But I've also noticed that, I don't want to say he throws his hands towards the ball, but he kind of like moves them or lunges them a little bit. Now, I was a lineman. I wasn't a receiver. But we're all taught to catch the ball with our hands. And you kind of make that pseudo diamond triangle shape between yep. your thumb and your index fingers, right? Yes, sir. Well, if you did that, like if you look at the pass in the Dallas game, went through his hands and hit him in the face. If you put your hands up in front of your face like that, your elbows are bent a little bit, right? You make that diamond shape. Sure. If you move your hands forward, you're not moving your wrist. You're bending your elbows. When you do that, your hands come apart a little bit. I've noticed that with him a little bit. Has anybody else? And is, could that be his problem? What do you guys think? Look, I'm not uh, – appreciate <laughs> the call. I think there's call. a problem there. I just don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, we aren't, you know, guys that are, you know, are, you know, breaking down catching technique. I mean, I know the basics of the whole diamond thing that, that I know about. I think sometimes he gets his hands up a little late, too. I think that's part of it. The ball seems to get on top of him very quickly, Jeff, if you know what I yep. mean, where he maybe he doesn't locate the ball in the air when he turns his head on his route quick enough. I mean, I think that could be something. Lance's jumping thing makes sense. I have not looked at him moving his hands towards the ball like our caller just mentioned. I'll Next time I watch him in the video, I'll keep an eye out for that. Look, the bottom line is that he has to cut down on those sort of errors and mistakes and, and technical mistakes, whatever, however you want to term them, whether they're concentration drops or technical mistakes, whatever, that's how he takes his next step. The other stuff has come along. He stayed healthy this year. The blocking's gotten better. Now that's what he has to fix. And I don't know if it's an easy fix, a hard fix, but whatever, he's got to fix it because there were too many of those this year in, in some bad spots. And you want, I mean, at least from my perspective, I want a guy pursuing the football with his hands. I don't think that's a bad thing right, because you don't want to wait for the ball to come to you. Then that's going to give the defense an opportunity to make a play. So I have no problem with if you're coming towards the football with your hands. I mean, I think if you ask most coaches, they would tell you that's what they teach because then it's a waiting game and you're giving the defense an opportunity to capitalize. So I have no problem with a player you know, moving his hands towards the football. I just, once again, the one thing I've noticed, and this is just me with the eye test, that sometimes instead of just pursuing the football and coming towards it with his hands, I think he takes a slight jump and that could throw off where the ball's trajectory is coming towards your hands and that to me could lead to deflections and opportunities for picks. Yeah, look, I mean, it could be a million different things. I'm sure they're sure. working with him on it. Get him on the jugs machine. You know, maybe maybe his vision needs to get better. Who knows? Maybe he needs contact lenses. I mean, they could be like a – seriously, they could be a bajillion, no, I I, a bajillion different you. things. I, I think it's vision. I really do. I think it's a – I think it's a vision problem, you know, short, you know, close up. Because I, I just noticed that when we talk about and John, you go back and look at film and stuff, just look at the times where he catches a lot of the balls below his waist and below his chest. He has no problems with that type of a catch. It's the ones above his shoulders, you know, that the ones that that's the ones that he has problems with. And I just don't know if it's 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 finding the football in the stadiums where, you know, there's. I, I don't know. It's just it's 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 amazing to me. Well, it but, should have been easier this year with no fans, right? Know, because exactly. if you you know you have the or solid maybe, you have the solid not. background of the seats, it should be easier. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe the stands had some effect on it. I don't. It's just crazy. But he, he's got to get better. We know that. Nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The new X series of scratch offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to one hundred times. Please play responsibly. We have yet another caller. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Peter from the Florida Keys. How you doing, Pete? What's Good up, man? Pete. Wow, I feel like I hit the lotto. Uh, <laughs> 
so so hard getting in to call you guys. Um, and so I do, and and Pete, you got on a day when Datino's not yeah, here, so you like won triple triple wins. <laughs> well, see, Charlie so got I, in early, so he didn't clog up the line. Yeah. That's also yeah, helping your much, cause. Pretty much. So what I do is I dedicate a hundred tries before I just give up. So actually, I got in on call number ninety-eight. So. I'm pretty amped about this. It feels like I won the lotto or something. That's awesome. <laughs> Go for it, Pete. What do you got? So a couple quick things. Um, I heard part of the conversation you guys had about um, due to the, the COVID virus and due to the lack of scouts and pro, pro days and all that good stuff, scouting is going to be a little bit harder for the draft. And I absolutely agree that the scouting relationships is critical. You know, they could pick up the phone, and if it's a 20-year scout, you could – call some of his uh, relationships and pretty much, you know, get the scoop on some people. But I also think it's equally important that um, a lot of the people on our coaching staff have these college ties. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point, Pete. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of cool that, hey, McKinney last year, I, I bet dollars to donuts that uh, Judge picked up the phone and called his buddy to ask about the, the inside scoop on him. Well, remember, too, it's not just guys that are on these teams. All these coaches recruited these guys, too. So all these really good players, you know Nick Saban was trying to recruit them, even if he didn't get them. So that will give you insight, too, in a certain way. Well, remember, Kirby Smart is at Georgia, Andrew Thomas, and Kirby Smart has Alabama ties. So it's a very small world, as John mentioned. I think if you have college coaches or former college coaches that are not that far removed on your staff, it helps because they still have close ties to individuals coaching in the NFL. But I would say most guys that are across the NFL landscape have some established relationship with college coaches, and that always helps as another layer when you're evaluating a player. There's no doubt about it. Cool. Um, thanks for that, Lance. Uh, another question I had, just I was thinking out, thinking about this while I was listening on hold, Um so in the last few years, it's it's been a hit or miss with draft picks. And I think it's kind of interesting when you have these one-hit wonders, these guys that have started pretty much one year in college, and then teams kind of pull the trigger, kind of risky to see if it's going to translate to the NFL. And there's a couple guys that just popped in the back of my head. I know Van Der Esch had limited snaps, and also even Haskins. I don't remember if they were one year or two year starters. There's always a risk whenever I'm hearing these, these draft um, these draft shows. My question for you guys, and I don't know if you've seen this in analytics or what your your gut is telling you. I wonder what position is less risky if it's a one year starter that could translate from college to the pros. Least risky, I would say running yeah. back would be very okay. would not be very risky. I think wide receiver I'd put up there, yeah, too. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with the wide receiver. I think that's the one because, you know, the way that the offenses ever run in the in, in college football, you know, and route trees and just getting off coverage, you know, learning how to read coverage, I think that, to me, is, is the best one. Uh, I would be weary of a one guy that has, like, one big sack season and then you don't have much else to play off of because we spoke about a lot in the show, Pete, sacks can be fluky. So I think you yep. want to see a body of work with pass rushers, so I'd worry about that. And I think for linebackers, just I think linebackers are a very difficult position to play. So I, I do think you want to have a guy with some experience there. Same thing with quarterback. Because, I, look, I think the two toughest positions in year one for an NFL rookie to play well 
is linebacker and tight end. Because you have to worry about pass rush. You have to worry about run defense. you got to worry about uh, pass defense. And for tight ends, every part of the offense you have to know. So those, to me, are two positions that are really, really tough to figure out. So I would like to draft somebody with some level of experience at that spot. And, John, what I would add to that is I think quarterback might be tricky. Oh, of course. Oh, no, 100%. Uh, yeah, honestly, quarterback's at the top of the list. I just assumed we all agreed with that. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And you know, something interesting, John. John, you did a really good job with Paul bringing that first draft scout on. Um, What I thought was interesting was they were talking about that one quarterback kid that might be drafted in the top ten. And uh, he only had one year under his belt. Yeah, Trey Lance. He played 16 games as a sophomore, two as a freshman, and then he played one game this year. That's it. Yeah, I'd be kind of scared to draft him in a top ten pick for sure. Quarterbacks are the commodity, my friend. I mean, well, and that's why Haskins is. is a good example too, because Dwayne Haskins really had only yeah. one season as a starter, right. and now you see what happened. So, I mean, granted, he could very well catch on with another team, but you you want to see that the quarterback did it for multiple seasons. I, I think that at least would make me feel a little bit more comfortable before well, guys, drafting somebody. And like I that. think Haskins too. It shows the importance of scouting. Right? Because if you looked at his film, he would look like a good quarterback on tape that he could play. But obviously there are other things at work there, and he's an intelligent kid too, that there are other things at work there where he just wasn't ready to be an NFL player and an NFL quarterback. So that's where the other scouting stuff comes in, right, to figure out what makes these guys tick, what type, you know, what type of people they are, which this year is going to be a little bit more difficult. And remember the Giants have actually brought in a lot of newer, younger scouts over the last few years, right? They've kind of turned over their scouting staff a bit. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how they work in this environment in 2021. Well, and you know why I think it's important to have a multiple-year starter at quarterback is because I think as you go through the seasons, you have more of volume of maybe a few games where things didn't go right, and you see how then the quarterback then bounced back and adjusted, and that to me plays into the maturity and development of an athlete, which has nothing to do with necessarily the X's and O's. If I look back, just based Mm -hmm. on what happened with Washington, I look at Haskins had that just tremendous season in college where I don't think a lot of things went wrong. He was getting praise from everywhere. And then you get to the NFL, you have a multiple interception game or you're not the starter and you're now on the bench. I just don't think he's dealt with a lot of that adversity throughout the course of his college and high school career. And then you're exposed to it for the first time. And you all of a sudden learn about yourself and the individuals around you learn about you. So that's why I'd want to see a quarterback for multiple years. Let me see some ebbs and flows where maybe there were some struggles and I have a better idea of how they dealt with some of those. Yeah, Lance, frankly, not having like six, you know, first-round picks around you. I mean, you remember that Haskins team at Ohio State? Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, uh, who was the running back? I think he didn't have Zeke. Who came after Zeke? Uh, Dean of Dobbins, the guy in between there. Maybe it was Dobbins yet. I think it Who, may have been Dobbins. Whoever, yeah. whoever it was, they had a, and for they had offensive linemen that were Dave one, two, and three picks. So it was, they just had so many good players around them. Let's see this guy succeed in different environments with different people around him, Jeff. Which I think is part of it too. Well, I think Lance hit the nail on the head. You want to see how you know how does he react to adversity? Every player goes through adversity in the National Football League at every position. You know, you're not winning every single play. You're not winning every game. Um, but when you come from a major, major college program, and like you said, John, with players around you, 
um, you know, your stock goes up. Ohio State players are better than every other group of players in the Big Ten, and it's not close. You know that, Jeff. Well, do you remember what I told you the stat of, the, right. of those of those picks this year for the the recruits, um, right? The recruits they get them. So just like Alabama gets them, it's not fair, but it's reality. So I think you guys make a great point, and for a one-year starter to come in and you draft him so high. The, the, I think you look at Dwayne Haskins, it's a classic example of why, Lance, you say that you, you have a little trepidation because of that. I would too. Yeah. But some guys, some teams just can't stay away from it. All right, we got, <laughs> one, we, we got one more caller, guys. Let's squeeze him in before we say goodbye. Caller, you're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, uh, guys, it's Mark in Chicago. Hey, Mark, Hi, what's Mark. up, bud? Sorry, hey, uh, we, we, we only have about a minute, Mark, so give us what you got, oh, and then you can man. call back another time. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know what? What, what, I just wanted to compliment you on the show about Daniel Jones yesterday. Oh, thank I you. I thought a lot of the, the uh, analysis that you did was very good. The one thing that you never did really talked about was the impact of the offensive line and how that uh, affects the way he played. I mean, the guy had his head on a swivel. He got sacked, what, 50 times? Or our QBs got Yeah, look, unfortunately, times. Mark, and, and Jeff, by the way, you weren't on that show, but mm-hmm. if you want to go back, Jeff Lance, uh, rather, Paul Lance and I did a very deep dive into Jones on mm-hmm. Friday's show. If you want to take some time to listen to that, I think it would be worth your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem, Mark, is that there's really no way to, to, to put a, a metric on that. We could talk about it, our eye test and things like that. What I can tell you is that the Giants' offensive line pass block terribly this year. Uh, mm-hmm. They had the second-worst pass block win rate in the league, uh, only to the Jets, I believe. They had the second-highest pressure rate allowed this year, second to the Jets, which is worse than the year before. And by the way, Daniel Jones held the ball shorter periods of time per pass than he did as a rookie. So, yes, he received very little help from his offensive line, which is why I think some of the you know overall numbers in terms of depth of target and things like that might have been down a little bit. That's fair. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this isn't what I was going to talk about, but I'll throw it in because the other things I'll call back. Um, you know, talking about Gettleman, and it was interesting, the conversation also on that show about the Cleveland Browns. If you remember back in 2016-17, they traded away all their talent, and they accumulated all these draft picks. And they had the number one pick and the number three pick, I think, in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorsey came in. I think he did a great job drafting. Yeah, and Baker and Denzel Ward that year they drafted. Yep. Yeah. And they did. They just went haywire with their coach and their GM. And now they're reaping the benefits of all the, their draft picks and the talent that they accumulated. Yep. Absolutely. So it takes time. And you really have to analyze, you know, what they did, how they did it. And, you know, it's not the same situation with us. But, you know, I think Gettleman's doing an okay job. I was sitting there watching the Browns game this Thank weekend. You, Mark. With the same, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you know what? Just a few years ago, we were watching a Browns team that couldn't win anything. You know, they went 0-16, and there was a team that was everybody just was like, oh, the Browns, you know, the, the paper bags over their heads and stuff like that. <laughs> and now we're sitting there, they're in a divisional round, and, and they're possibly, it looks like they're going to maybe beat Kansas City. But, you know, evidently it didn't happen. But this is just a prime example of what, what the caller is saying about how it takes time to build, and we all agree this, that you build through the draft. Okay, you build your team through the draft, and if you can keep your draft picks and you know and do a good job there, you got a good chance. Well, in the Browns, Lance, if you just look at the talent on this roster, okay? Oh my God, I mean, Jarvis Landry, first round pick. Odo Beckham Jr., who was hurt, whatever, first round pick. Jedrick Wills, left tackle, first round pick. Jack Conklin, right tackle, first round pick. Joel Batonio was a second round pick, if I remember. Um, David Njoku, first round pick. Baker Mayfield, first round pick. Miles Nick Garrett's Chubb, a first round first pick. First round pick. I'm only doing the offense. I was just the offense, right. defense. Yeah. Miles Garrett, first round pick. Olivier Vernon, huge uh, 
acquisition. He's out, but include him. Sheldon Richardson, first-round pick. I mean, you go uh, Denzel Ward, first-round pick, and they have two guys in the secondary, uh, Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit. First and second round picks that aren't even playing. I mean, just look at all those guys. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, over the last few years, they've accumulated a lot of picks. But here's the thing. It's about also what you do with those picks. Well, and they drafted so we're starting well. to see yeah. that they've drafted well. And now, all of a sudden, you get the right coach in place in Kevin Stefanski. And you take advantage of the player's skill set. But once again, Cleveland still has to prove that it can maintain this. Moving forward, okay, sure. one year doesn't eliminate all that also went wrong with that franchise oh, for about so the much. two decades prior. And talk about continuity. <laughs> there was none over there. There well, was, exactly. They well, were here, firing they, through GMs and coaches. Well, here's the trick. What happens, when all these, what happens when all these rookie contracts come up? And these guys hit for agency. You well, can't keep everybody, that's the right? Man, that's what you got to manage. And that's what, uh, to, to Lance's point, we're going to see how they're going to have to continue this trend. It's not easy. Especially, I'm just reading on the internet. So, 180 million is supposedly the cap number this year. Is that what it's going to be? Yeah, that's what it. So, it's not 175. It's 180. It's not official, but that's what they're reporting. Still a big drop. That's around what it was 198 last year, right, Lance? Okay. So, is that correct? Yeah, it was uh, in in the high 190s. So, I mean, we're still talking about a noticeable drop. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. not as big as one. A lot of people were saying it could have been down in the 170, 175. But, hey, listen, you know, teams are going to have to figure out a way to re-sign their guys. And, and, and be, it's going to be a tough offseason. I, I would hate to be a free agent this year. That's for sure. You know, um, there's just not a lot of money in, to go around. It's gonna well, be it also difficult. means if Cleveland has all of these high picks – to your point, when eventually they're going to have to make decisions, that's why you have to continue to draft well because yep. then it makes it easier to part uh, ways Absolutely. with somebody who you don't think is worth the money. Yep. Yep. All right, that's guys. Do. Good show today. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you, Lance. Thank you, John. Yeah. Thank you to all you the callers. It. Baby, we'll kick off live as part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our other podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all your favorite podcast platforms. For Jeff Fiegels and Lance Meadow, I am John Schmelk. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow at noon for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you then, everybody. Stay safe.